Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Podcast 29 here for Boiler Ball, and today we are uh, very privileged to have former Boilermaker Dave Shellhouse in the house. Uh, Dave, thanks a lot for taking time to be with us today. Well, my pleasure. I wanted to, uh, as we, as I was preparing for this uh, talk with you, which is um, amazing, by the way, for our listeners out there that he's preparing for anything. <laughs> and just to give you an idea, I have my phone at the moment, and I'm trying to get on airplane mode, and I've been trying to get on it for 10 minutes, which the flight would be over by the time I got on it. So I just thought I'd let you know. See, that's how it works, Dave. That's how we do this podcast. That's how high all right, we so are. Tell, so tell us about all the preparation. So you as have. I'm preparing today, I'm going through our media guide, and I started making some notes here. And if I had, if I wrote out every single superlative from Dave's career here, I'd take up ten pages worth. So I try to stick to some of the highlights, but I can't wait to dive into some of the uh, some of your time here at Purdue. But before then, I wanted to kind of backtrack um, and talk about your upbringing, where you're from, and then kind of your start into the game of basketball. Well, I'm from Evansville, Indiana, uh, and I went to North High School. My dad uh, was very was a postman in Evansville, and uh, he uh, was in World War II, and came back and uh, had uh, three kids: me, my brother Mike, who's also a Purdue graduate, and my uh, sister, who's ten years younger. And he uh, he got me involved in little league baseball, basketball. Uh, he he got off work at 3.30 and he would play with kids pretty much all day. You know, he was a little league manager and I think a frustrated coach, you know, he never took advantage of the GI Bill like a lot of guys in Evansville did at that time. But uh, he's the one that really introduced me to athletics. Plus he was an official and I can remember, uh, in the seventh, eighth grade, sixth grade, whatever, he'd say, uh, I'm going to referee Dale, and, and Roger Kaiser's going to play, and I want you to go with me. And I'd get a ride along with the referees and watch things, and I can remember him uh, taking me to see Terry Dishner play when he played really? at Garfield. Uh, Roger Kaiser, Dale, uh, a lot of great basketball in those days, uh, the Aces, uh, won uh, national championships with Ed Smallwood and, of course, Jerry Sloan a little later and Larry Hems and just a lot of uh, watching basketball and playing and uh, hoping to be a player someday. And did how, how soon, I mean, was it fairly soon after you started watching and being around all these games that you felt like, I want to do that? Yeah, I, I always say there's one... I think there's one defining moment. You know, I've read a lot about athletics, and, of course, I coached a long time. But I can remember uh, being taken to a high school basketball game in Evansville at Central Gym. It was Central, Evansville Central, and Evansville Bossy, and the place was full. And I was maybe 10 years old. And I'm up there, and I just kept remembering asking my mom and dad, well, how do you get to be – how do you get to do that how do you get to be and they just said well you you got to be a good player and so uh that's what i tried to do wow that's incredible so at what point did you did you when you start playing at what point did you realize you were pretty good 
probably eighth five, grade. Five minutes after you started. <laughs> <laughs> probably about the eighth grade. But I had, uh, you know, I had some advantages, you know. In other words, uh, I can remember, I, I always joke, and uh, but there was a guy that played at Boonville, uh, Indiana, and he, he played underneath the basket. I had a range of about two feet <laughs> and averaged 20-something points a game in the eighth grade because I could hook, I could fade away and use the bank board, and I could drive. And I had moves, and no other grade school kid had moves. <laughs> and so, you know, that sort of success breeds success. So once you think you're good, then you want to be good. Yeah. And... Uh, about that time, yeah, uh, about the eighth grade, and I played football and I played baseball. Um, I played on, uh, you know, I had, of course Bob Greasy's from Evansville. Uh, he's one year, he's my age, but one year behind me. Uh, Evansville Bossy won the state championship in basketball. Uh, there were a lot of really good athletes in that era. A lot of them came here. You know, Larry Weatherford, uh, Greg Fenner, football player, uh, Terry Wedgwood, baseball player. A lot of uh, Evansville guys came up here. What was the draw from Evansville up here? Well, I really don't don't know. I know that, and I always felt pretty good that, that I was the first guy that had been here in a long time. They had a lot of guys in the 40s from Evansville. Bud Ritter, uh, uh Bill Butterfield, a lot of guys in, in that era. Um, and then they had a drought. But it's like any other town, you know, there are good years and bad years. Sure. So uh, I came up here. The next year we got Tom Niemeyer in basketball and Bob Greasy in football. And, um, you know, I always felt that if you, and when I coached, that if you get a kid from a certain school or a certain town and they're happy and they're they're doing well other kids want to follow and I think that kind of happened for a while in Evansville and then George King you know became uh, got Bobby Ford was from my high school yeah. um, and Larry Weatherford and so uh, they just did a good job uh, Bob King of course was involved they did a good job recruiting did you do you remember those what um, did you play against um, Bob Greasy in high school do you remember those games yeah, I remember those games. In how did fact, those go? How the, how that those matchups shake out? Good, you know they they were good. I mean, uh, Bob uh, Bob played at Evansville Rex Monday, which is no longer a school, and uh, Evansville Bossy and North. Uh, all three of us were in the top ten. Wow! In the state of Indiana, my senior year. Wow! Uh, we beat Bossy. Uh, uh, Rex Monday beat us, and Bossy beat Rex Monday. <laughs> But then in the sectional, Bossy beat us both in, in the same day. Wow. And went on and won the state championship. What is that? Is there a great lesson to be learned there? You got three in the top ten, they shouldn't be in the same sectional, right? <laughs> right. Think about that. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, back in the day when it's one class, and to have three three top ten teams and know that two of them are going home after that first week, that is crazy. Wow. That'd be so. What, what the atmosphere of those games had to be amazing. Well, I played high school games with ten thousand people there. Wow. Yeah, I scored forty-five points against Bossy, and we beat them eighty-four to eighty-three. 
and there were 11,000 people wow. in Robert Stadium. That is what awesome. year? What year? 1962. Wow. wow, that is pretty cool. I have to say, and and I'm I'm just a couple of years uh, behind Dave, and I grew up in Northeastern Ohio, so I grew up in a football state, which was a uh, raging football state compared to just like basketball is in the state of Indiana back then. But I can remember, uh, and my dad was the same way. He's the one that encouraged me to play all sports and got me interested in it. But we used to, the thing that was so cool about the 60s, and I graduated in high school in 65, the thing that was so cool as a kid was almost every high school had one of these guys, not every high school, every county, every, you know, square mile area had somebody that was really prolific and you'd hear about them and they'd be talked about and you couldn't wait to go see them and my dad was the kind of guy that would say hey let we're going to go 15 or 20 miles tonight because we're going to go see so-and-so play and yeah he'll go in that gym and you know it'd be an electric moment and just like dave said for a kid for a young kid to see that you know you just eyes would get so big and and i can remember growing up following the Big Ten, and we only had one Big Ten game a week. It was on ABC. Bill Fleming would end up doing it. And these guys, when it was Dishinger and Shell House and Cassie Russell and Bobby Rail or Jim, uh, Rail, Jimmy Rail, Jimmy Rail, I mean, that's what you wanted to, that's what you wanted to see. Sure. Because all, all, these, all these schools had this one dude, and I was, I was a big Jerry Lucas fan. I mean, he was my idol. And uh, you, you would think, Man, we can turn this on and we'll see a 56-52 showdown. Or, hey, it'll be 35-31. to 31, Or it, these guys, and they every time they deliver. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, uh, hey, uh, Shellhouse had six tonight and didn't right. have his game. You know? it, was, it was almost like in modern time when LeBron James was in high school and you wanted to see him play. Because, sure. But that was like that every week, I thought, in the Big Ten for a guy that grew up in the Big Ten. Well, what was interesting, as you say, there was one game a week. And you get all these people that say they saw you on television is impossible. <laughs> because because yeah. Purdue, I mean, you know, we might be on once, maybe twice at most. And uh, I remember one, uh, one game uh, we were on, we were at Wisconsin. And, uh, my, of course, my family is 200 miles from here, south. And uh, I had, like... 28 at halftime and in the second half we fell apart lost the game I was like 3 for 15 or something and uh, in Evansville the first half wasn't on it was oh. like what technical difficulties or something you know Wow. so yeah it was a different but consequently I have a theory about that is that people remember guys now from those eras because of that if you only saw a guy play one time or you went to you know now you can see every team play every night i mean i lived in north dakota and i could see purdue play 20 times on television yeah consequently and then you multiply that by all the teams um it's very difficult in evansville to even find somebody that knows who plays on the high school team Right. Except parents. And it's just a different different uh, era. Yeah, a lot more to a lot more to pick from. I mean the press coverage, uh I remember I was down in Evansville a few years ago and New Albany was rated one or two in the state and they were playing a really good team in Evansville and they didn't even cover the game. 
Wow. So, you know, in, in those days, there'd be six riders out oh, watching yeah. every oh, high school game. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, you have a great high school career. Um, at what point, what were your, was, was your decision like to attend college? What were your options, and then ultimately why did you end up coming to West Lafayette? Well, I had a lot of options, and I, it was much different. You never even thought about uh, recruiting until after the last game of your senior year, if then. Wow. You, you know, usually it was afterwards. And I always tell people I loved getting recruited. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> you know, to go somewhere and have everybody, you know, kiss your butt and tell you this and tell you that. And and I loved it. And every weekend I went somewhere. I went to IU, went to Purdue. My final choices were Purdue, Illinois, and West Virginia. Okay. And it was interesting because, I mean, I just couldn't say no. I just couldn't say no. And so I told Illinois, the rules then, they had what was called the National Letter of Intent. And they send that letter out, and for 10 days they could not contact you. And you had to sign that letter, you and your parents, and send it back. That was the procedure. Uh, I told Illinois I was coming. I told West Virginia I was coming, and I told Purdue I was coming. And I had three letters of intent. Uh, this is a true story. Wow. And my uh, dad, who really wasn't all that involved, I mean, other than I know he came up here, I know the maybe IU, but he uh, he said, what are you doing? So it was the first time anybody ever sat down with me and said, <laughs> you know, this is the pluses, this is the minuses. And I, I can remember sitting in my house 4 o'clock in the afternoon and telling my dad, well, I'm going to go to Purdue. He said, well, then sign that darn letter and we'll mail it. Mm. And, now, and so I'm happy, you know, weights off my shoulder. But we're talking end of May of my senior year. That's when everyone was getting recruited. Um, and then I had to call the other guys. Mm. And George King was coach of West Virginia. And George, uh, the reason I was real involved there, he had told me that I would wear 44 because they had Jerry West. Jerry West, yeah. And then when he was left, Rod Thorne, who was also an All-American, and then it would have been time for them to assign that number. Now, how many people George told that to? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I just, they were big time. They had been runner-up in the oh, country. Yeah. yeah, a couple times. And Illinois, I really liked Illinois. And, and there were a lot of guys from Evansville that went to Illinois. Harry Combs was the coach. They wound up being really good. They had Skip Thorine, Don Freeman, uh, Tal Brody. Um, but I'll always remember having to call George King and, and Harry Combs. How'd, after, that, how'd that go down? Not what too they good. Said, yeah, they, uh, because I had told them I was coming. There was no question about it. So they're going, what? And if you're, if you're West Virginia, you miss out on a really good player, but you know, you don't have to see. If you're Illinois, we got to see this guy now. 
for the next few years too. Yeah, the Big Ten was very strong then, and and it was and, you know a different world. There was only one team that could ever go to the NCAA right. tournament. The NIT was off limits to all Big Ten schools because of the gambling scandals of the early fifties. So uh, it that's that was the way it was. And, and this, I was I was I, I, Dave. I was never aware of that. I wasn't either. I, and. Uh, that the NIT was not part of the Big Ten uh, process, and what few people know is how how big that tournament was at that time. I mean, all those years that you had one qualifier from a from a major conference, you had sixteen teams in the tournament. I mean, that's it for the NCAA tournament. You had the same amount for the NIT, and they played in the NIT. I mean, it was huge, and if you won it. You know, yeah, big deal. It, Real it, big it deal. was really a big deal in the in the sixties, late fifties, and all the way through the sixties into the seventies, playing at, at, at uh, Madison Square Garden. But uh, but I had never known that the Big Ten was not included because of the gambling, and that would have been uh, New York College, I believe, was uh, New York University or whatever it was, and downtown Manhattan or College of New York or whatever mm-hmm. it was. CCNY, yeah, yeah CCNY, yeah. yeah. So Dave, you get. You, you make the final decision. You you, you get to uh, campus. I, then would that would have been in August, a few months later, after you signed in May? And, September or so. Okay. And so uh, how was your how was your adjustment? Kind of out on your own the fir- for the first time and away at school? How did that go? Now, you're not, you're not eligible as a freshman, though. No. No, no so you have no, to study. Yeah, and I, you know, I was young. I was 17 when I graduated from high school and when okay. I came up here. Um, I always say... And people that went to Purdue in those days will know this. My freshman year at Purdue, I improved more as a basketball player than any year before or since. Uh, you could have no car. Uh, I, of course, I didn't have a car anyway. You, I had no money. Uh, the girls, it was about five to one in those days. <laughs> If you remember, you know, and earlier than that, it was like 10 to 1. So I had no girlfriend. And uh, if I wasn't over in the field house, I was at the co-rec. And that was it because I had nothing else to do. Uh, You know, I couldn't run home 200 miles every weekend. And uh, I played freshman ball. Bob King was the coach. It was really interesting because Terry Dishner was his assistant. And Terry Dishner was playing in the NBA on the weekends, helping coach the freshman team and finishing up his engineering degree in the first semester. Isn't that amazing? So he would be... Yeah, and he ends up being a dentist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> An orthodontist. Yeah. yeah. So Good one. So you, where, did everybody stay in the same dorm? How no. many dorms were there at the time? Or were you everybody spread out? Uh, yeah, there was, they, they were called H1, H2, okay. H3, yep. Yep. those dorms. Uh, I know I was in H2. The players were all over. We had some married players who were in married student housing. We had guys in fraternities that lived in fraternity houses. Uh, no, it was there wasn't any of this keeping them yeah. all year and all that, no. And at the time, you talked about the field house, um, which now sits directly south of Mackey. Um, and for those fans who are unfamiliar with um, the, that setup, um, 
talk about just the field house and and how the court was arranged and you know the typical the typical setup over there well the the setup there was that the you know the court didn't go the long way that the field house it went the other way uh, they had uh, the adults were on the uh, there were some small bleachers plus at the top they could sit around the top and they would bring in those uh, football uh, stands okay. the stands from the football they'd bring them on after football season and those were the ones that fell in yeah. the 50s yeah but those would go way up and those were students and they could sit anywhere they wanted okay so I always had friends that would be at both ends of the field house so when they opened the door they would run in and they would always be in the front row and all of that so the but middle we had good crowds and the middle section those were that was the student section and everybody else alumni everybody were around the top and the bottom they were around the top and on the other side behind the teams okay so that's the way that was but that that's the way a lot of schools had field houses Michigan Michigan State that was you know, uh, Illinois, of course, didn't. Uh, they were building Assembly Hall. Okay. They, um, Indiana had a field house. Uh, can't remember all of them. Wisconsin, same way. So they were all pretty much the same type of building. So you go through your freshman year when freshmen were ineligible to play, um, and then you start your sophomore year. Um, and talk us through... And the coach at the time was Ray Eddy, is that correct? So talk us through just, you know, now it's your sophomore year, it comes around and you had to be, after sitting here, you had to be just really excited to get get out there and start competing. Well, you know, all, all of us were, although I think it was a pretty good, you know, a pretty good rule, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had a chance to get acclimated to college. There weren't as many transfers, I don't think, then. But, um, yeah, um, I... I, our staff was Joe Sexton was an assistant coach and of course Bob King and, and Ray Eddy was the head coach when I was getting recruited I was paying attention and so I always felt that you only had so long to play and even these young guys you coach you know they may not know it but someday somebody's going to take the ball away from you and I knew that I wasn't going to sit on the bench anywhere. Uh, the, one of the reasons I didn't go to Indiana was Tom and Dick Van Arsdale had been Mr. Basketball the year before. They're the very same size as me. There's no way that, you know, I'm going to fit in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I wanted to particularly, but that that was it. I was all set to go to Illinois, but I thought they hid a guy from me. I was there, and I knew there was a guy named Bogey Redman who had won the state championship the year before at Collinsville, and it was supposed to be like all world. It turned out he wasn't, but I knew they hid him from me because they introduced me to everybody else. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, I felt, I looked at Purdue. We had great guards. We had Mel Garland, who was a tremendous player. Uh, Bob Perkiser, Ronnie Hughes, we had a lot of decent guards. We had some big men, although they basically always were ineligible or whatever. But I felt that I could play it forward and that I could play a lot. 
with the intention that I wasn't going to sit on the bench for anyone. And if it didn't work out, I could always go back to Evansville or go somewhere else. So I made a good choice. Mm -hmm. So I started the first game I played for Purdue. And I tell this story, and it's true. But the next game, we played Nebraska. The first game, we won. And I had a good game, played the whole game. And the next game, we played Nebraska here and beat them pretty handily. And Coach Eddie took me out. He kept taking me out. And I didn't like that. I didn't say anything. And then we got in the plane and went to Wake Forest. And we played Wake Forest. They, uh, Bones McKinney was That's the good. coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were good. And they beat us by three or four, but I got like 37 or something. And then Coach Eddie, he came up after the game, and he said, well, great game, da-da-da-da-da. And I said, well, you know, I hope this lets you know not to take me out of the games <laughs> like you this, did Saturday. <laughs> hope this clarifies some things for you, for you Coach. <laughs> and I did say that, and people, you know, but I meant it. Because I just didn't like, why put all the time in and not play? Sure. So, so the, our listeners know, you your first year, which would be your sophomore year academically, averaged 24.5 points a game. Then your junior year, 29.3. Then your senior year, 32.5 points a game. Now, I don't want to kind of glance over those and I'm, we'll get into some of those those games but some of the the numbers that I was talking about at the outset of this podcast fourth all-time leading score 2074 points and and mind you three seasons and understand also and, but understand also they didn't play <clears throat> as many games exactly as they played today. exactly so they're they're playing like a 20 game schedule right and if they don't get in the tournament that's where it ends so a lot fewer games played um we we made a big deal out of last year. Swan against thirty six career double doubles. Dave had thirty three career double doubles. Thirty three thirty point games, second most in Purdue history behind Mount. Uh, in nineteen sixty five, you had seven thirty point games in a row. And I'm probably embarrassing you by this, but but I th I, th I think the listeners are if you know, help them appreciate exactly what all you accomplished. And then. In, on February 26, 1966, the Wolverines come to town, and Dave scores 57 points and grabs 27 rebounds in that game. So that gives you a little bit of idea just how dominant you were. Um, when, you, when you competed those years, how quickly did, because everything's changed now, and you referenced the fact that you don't know a lot about other teams uh, in terms of scouting and being able to see things, how quickly did word circulate? On your act, on your prowess, and how quickly did you start seeing double teams, or were double teams even a thing back then? Well, yeah, but I, you know, I, I think you need to. Mel Garland. I remember specifically playing uh, with Mel Garland. Mel Garland, uh, Terry Dishner's senior year here, they started four seniors and one sophomore, and that sophomore was Mel Garland, and he told me he said, "Now you, if you run." and get open, I will get the ball to you. And I tell people he could throw the ball off the dribble, you know, long before anyone could ever do those things. He could he could throw a three-quarters court. And so 
again, I think success brings success. I think you get hungry, you know. If you score, I always felt my sophomore year, I couldn't shoot very well. But I could get open and I could get a lot of second shots. I always had the philosophy that if I didn't shoot 10 free throws a game, I wasn't working very hard. I had a few things I always tried to tell myself. One, if you're no, don't get in the line, you're not working hard enough. Every time you miss a shot, get one foot closer. I watch these idiots shoot threes, and they'll miss five in a row, all of them short or whatever. You know, always get one foot closer. Sooner or later, you're going to hit one, even if you're right underneath the basket. Yeah. And then once you begin... You, you know, your range goes from in to out, not out and keep going out. Yeah. And uh, then my junior year, um, we had a very strange year. There were only two people that started every game, me and Bob Perkiser. Coach Eddie was in his last year, and I think he was a great coach, but he was at the end. You know, his patience was gone. Mm-hmm. He, when I came here, he had black hair. <laughs> when I left, he had gray hair. Wow. He, you know, he'd had it. He'd been a coach for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And But he was, a, you know, a wonderful guy. And then they brought in George King. And George King, I think, was the first modern basketball coach that Purdue had, certainly, and probably the Big Ten. You know, you had Branch McCracken down at IU, and and those guys all played in the 30s, and, you know, they were hard-nosed farm boys, you know, they, players, it, it, the game just changed. Uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. No, I understand what you're saying. So in what way was it more modern? Was it the style of play that he brought to the table or his way of coaching? His way of coaching, his, uh, you know, experience as a professional player, his uh, uh, recruiting, you know, he went Mm -hmm. out. You know, if you look at, I know this is the 50th year for Mackey. Mm -hmm. I remember a few years ago they recognized that team. How many big guys they had. Now, you guys got a lot of big guys now. Right. But when George was here, there were a lot of them too. You know, he just looked at the game, I think, differently than a lot of people um and i i i think i would have been an even better player if i had played three years with george you know i just think he he taught a lot he taught guys a lot he saw maybe things in certain players that well that's normal you know you have one coach and another coach and you may think i'm good and he may think i'm not so good so you know, he just looked at our squad differently, and uh, that was the year he recruited Mount, and I was involved in all that, and uh, it it just changed. Herman Gilliam was here. Yeah. Uh, Billy Keller was here. Freshman could have played then. It had been we'd have been very good. So was was it one of those things when you were recruiting Mount? Did they did they know right away this is the guy we got to have? Well, everybody knew everybody, that. Everybody, okay. I mean, you know, that was, uh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Oh, so that had already happened at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. as a high school kid, he was the uh, first one ever. <clears throat> right, first, first high, high school. First high school kid to ever be on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated. 
So no. So what you based on what you've said about uh, Coach King, it probably wasn't a shock to you that he got to the Final Four a few years later. You could could you kind of see the the roots start to take hold in your last year? Yeah, and he had a lot of guys here. I mean, he really had some good players. George Faber. Uh, he recruited Bobby Ford. You remember the F Troop, Bobby Ford, William Franklin, George Faber. Those guys were very good players. I mean, Larry Weatherford couldn't even start. You know, and he wow. was he was really good. Uh, Keller, you know, Keller. I always said Billy Keller was the most popular player to ever play in Indiana. They loved him with the Pacers, Washington, Purdue. Yeah. I mean, he was really a great player. So, um, in your day in the Big Ten, your days in the Big Ten, which uh, with any particular opponents, whether it's an individual player or teams that you look forward to playing, or anything stand out from from your three years when you played? Well, you know, we had a lot of success against Indiana, which I loved. Uh, I uh, it was funny all three years that I was at Purdue, Michigan won. They had Cassie Russell, Bill Bunton, Oliver Darden. Uh, Dave Strack was the coach. Uh, before that, for, it was Ohio State. It was yeah, like three, three or four years. Yeah. I mean, they had Gary Bratz, who was fantastic player. And a they taught, forget, yeah, a lot of people forget about Gary Bratz after Jerry Lucas. And uh, he he was he was really in in fact up until 1968, Ohio State had a terrific team. He, I think he got 47 on us one time over there. I mean, he was a first team All American. And they won the Big Ten with a tie with Michigan, and they had the same rule that they had in football, that the team who had been there the closest couldn't go. Gotcha. So Ohio State had went three straight years and then won it again and couldn't even go to the NIT or the NCAA. Wow. And um, so uh, there were a lot of strong teams. Uh in those days, uh, Indiana, uh, you know, three guys that played in the NBA forever. John McLaughlin was in that class. Um, we were, you know, we were average. We were, you know, not that good a team, but we we could beat people. You know, I mean, if you took us lightly, but we never, um, we just never. But I loved it here. I mean, I loved playing here, and I liked going to school here. And to answer your question, uh, you know, I, you know, I lived in a fraternity. I went to classes. Uh, it, it wasn't all consuming like it is nowadays. But I think it's big business now. Right. I have to. Can I tell a story <clears throat> I told you yesterday mm -hmm. about Dave? Um, we had to get together for the older guys uh, 10, 12 years ago, 11 years Probably ago. Probably about a dozen years now, yeah. And it was in the uh, stadium here, and uh, Henry Hebershoff, who's now deceased, was a friend of mine. And, and I took the approach of being just an idiot and spent most of the night. <laughs> it was such a stretch for you. Yeah, I was, I was trying to say, <laughs> pretty much saying, you know, where are all the stars? I mean, we got... A lot of people back for this reunion, but we don't have any we don't have any star power in this place. And I was poking on Henry, and and Henry was getting real irritated. He was getting real irritated, and uh, and I, I I just wouldn't let go. And finally, Dave came sauntering by somewhere, and 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 Henry saw him, and uh, he he grabbed Shellhouse, just turned him around, and he said. 
does this guy suffice? Is this good enough for you? <laughs> I said, yeah, whoa, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, and I'll, and, never, I'll never forget that. And to speak to that, think about now we've, we've said, Dave, you had two, 2,074 career points, one of five 2,000-point scores in Purdue's history. You ranked fourth all time. But yeah, Etwan Moore's th- third on that list, 2,136 points, Etwan did it in 140 games. Dave did it in 72. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. That gives you an idea of some of the, the the amount of baskets that were pouring through that room when Dave was on the court. But uh, I think the I think the game. You know, obviously the game's changed. If you, when I played and Terry Dishner played and all those people, if you got a step on a guy, you could get to the basket. And then when teams started playing help defense and taking charges and all that, they didn't really do that in in our day. Mm-hmm. But it was very interesting because last year, he was either last year or the year before, ESPN had a, a film on Texas Western versus Kentucky, mm-hmm. the 1966 National Championship game. My, my good friend, Tommy Cron, from Tell City, Indiana, was one of Rupp's runs. And I I watched that, and I thought, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed because the game changed so much. But you know what? They were pretty good. They didn't foul as much. It wasn't so rough. I mean, I watch these guys play now underneath the basket, and they're just knocking the crap out of each other, whether right. they have the ball or don't have the ball. Right. You know, it's just that they didn't do that. You know, if if you got position, you could probably keep position. Mm-hmm. Well, well, go back, uh, go back twenty years though. Go go back to the Big East and the in the glory days of the Big East. Though this stuff we do now is docile compared to what those guys did. I mean, it was war. Yeah. I mean, they would and would get in fights all the time. Yeah, it certainly got a lot phys- more physical, and now it seems with an emphasis over the last few years for freedom of movement, they're trying to get that flow back to the game. And, and scoring is up. In the last year or two, scoring is significantly up, and that's been a, a big point of emphasis. With But the, I'd, be, I'd be interested in Dave's thoughts on, because I've always felt this way, uh, college basketball really never took off to the where it is today obviously i don't think we should have 351 division one schools but i understand the money part of it but in those days again like i said and like he said you can only qualify as a as a champion right and uh so you only had 16 teams his entire time if, if not less and uh but i always wondered uh when you look at college basketball I, you know it's been in my lifetime i started here in 77 uh, started my profession in 72 so and I think you know when we made the final four in 1980 and I work with Henry Rosenthal who you'll remember Henry brought me here uh, at WASK and he, he did the games and so I did the 1980 final four which was held in Indianapolis in front of 15,000 people so it wasn't until in my opinion until really that that finish with Houston and North Carolina State that, that, that college basketball really took off. So you're talking 1984? You're talking 33 years. I mean, when he played, it was popular, don't get me wrong, but I watched, I was an Ohio State fan, 1960, they beat California for the national championship game, went on TV. 
I lived in Northeast Ohio. Right. It started at 11 o'clock at night, and I listened to it on my Philco radio, and they were playing out in the Cow Palace in San Francisco against Pete Newell's California team, and I'm sitting there writing cartoons, and, and I scored the whole game, and I, I, got, I, I still have this in my scrapbook. I have Jerry Lucas there and John Havlicek and Larry Siegfried and, and Mel Roberts, that whole group of those guys that played, and, and that's how I listened to the national championship. It wasn't on TV. Yeah. Uh, the next two years it was, in 61 and 62, they lost both those years to Cincinnati. But, I mean, it's amazing, just in, in our lifetime, how, how far this sport has gone to, to being the second most popular sport in the country and in, in, in television. Well, as you say that, and, and obviously the, the popularity of the NBA is that they're enjoying some really good uh, ratings and popularity now. And that kind of leads us in the next segment that I wanted to get to. And Dave, you you end up playing professionally. You you wrap up your career at Purdue here, and then uh, talk us through the draft process and where you end up and and kind of your professional career. Well, my professional career was very short. Uh, I uh, I was drafted. Uh, I'm a trivia question. Who was the first person ever drafted by the Chicago Bulls? It's me. I was the tenth pick. Um, I was in my apartment my senior year I lived in an apartment and they called me you know that afternoon so that's how you learned about it Wow! had no contact with anyone prior to that that I can remember I mean no one no other team I had no idea Um, there were 10 teams in the NBA I tell people now 10 players per team that's a hundred guys and that's it and uh, of course I didn't know that you know I mean uh, my problem was uh, I was a forward at Purdue I was a center in high school and now I had to try to play guard well Mm. me guarding Jerry West wouldn't work but uh, Chicago was an expansion team that's really interesting because there were nine teams before Chicago. So the year before, there were only nine teams. They were able to take two per team. So we had 18 pros and then me and a couple other draft choices. To, make, to whittle it down to 10. To whittle it down to 10. Wow. Now I was kind of hanging my own during exhibition season for a while. But then we gave like four guys to San Francisco for Guy Rogers, who was fantastic, greatest athlete. And then the guards were Jerry Sloan and Guy Rogers, who both made the all-star team, either that year or the year after. I was 6'4", 6'4", guys are dime a dozen in those days. I mean, well, they still are. And um, now there are 32 teams so when I see a guy that gets a first-round draft choice for the 30th team, that would have been a fourth-round guy. He wouldn't even went to camp Man. in my day. What was the money like? What was the money like in those days? You it's remember? funny because I coached a guy at Morehead State who's the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. He makes $4 million. He has a four-year contract, $4 million per year. So he's, he's making $16 million. And um, I played for uh, $12,000, and I was a first-round draft choice. That was my salary. 
and uh, I didn't have I didn't have a car, so I got a Chevy, which was probably three thousand dollars then. Um, he and I were having lunch one day, and he was just telling me that he's on the road about two hundred days a year, and uh, we figured out that he gets more in meal money than I got in salary. Isn't that amazing? That now, if I was, a, and I tell people, if I was the tenth round pick today. Um, I probably wouldn't have had to work. You well, know, that's what, that, well, that's what old Hot Rod Hunley used to always say. If I was born in a different era, I wouldn't have been exactly the type of player I was. It'd and you know what? Different. What's really amazing is I like to watch the pros sometimes on TV. I probably would have been a good defensive player now. <laughs> they don't guard anybody until well, until May or June. Yeah. Changes. Well, I think it was last summer or the summer before uh, last. Dave came through the office one day, and and Coach Owens and Coach Brantley were up here, and Coach Owens and Coach Brantley were notorious for their de- NBA debates. And so Dave came through one day, and I don't think Dave knew what he was getting himself into, but we we sat Dave down, and and I think we talked for two hours about the pros back in the day. And Coach Brantley's a huge uh, Kareem fan, and he likes talking about big guys anyway. And we were talking, they were quizzing Dave on all the players or asking him his opinion on all the guys. And we sat there and listened to those stories. I mean, it was like Christmas morning for us. He had so many great stories about those pros. But some of the guys in the league at that time, icons now, you know, Chamberlain, Russell, and those guys. And did, did you were you aware at the time when you would show up to an arena and play these guys, did they, did they carry that much weight then that they do now? Uh, to me, they did. You know, sure. uh, as you say, though, there were probably in Chicago. We played the first year in the amphitheater, and some nights there were eight hundred people there. Uh, it was just the way it was. Um, yeah, they did. Uh, they. Uh, I always tell a couple. There were ten teams, so you played everybody nine times. <laughs> <laughs> See, now Indiana plays Sacramento twice. They play them once in Sacramento, and they've already played in Indianapolis. So we played Boston nine times, and we played Philadelphia nine times. In those two teams, we were 1-17. <laughs> now, Philadelphia had Billy Cunningham, Chet Walker, Luke Jackson, Wilt Chamberlain, Hal Greer, and Wally Jones and Larry Costello. Those were their seven guys. Just a fine group of young men. <laughs> the Celtics had Bailey Howell, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, K.C. Jones, John Havlicek, Satch Sanders. I always knew that I would get in those games because we would be behind. <laughs> so I'd try to get some sleep the night before. But... I can remember Bill Russell. Now, we played them the last game of the year in Chicago, and we made the playoffs. So against those other seven teams, we were maybe a 500 team. Um, We had lost uh, eight times to Boston, 0-8. We did beat Philadelphia once. And the whole year, I had in my mind that Bill Russell was over the hill. But they were almost ready to get beat in Chicago. And he blocked nine shots in the second half. Mm-hmm. 
And I went home that night, and I'm thinking in the car, he didn't even play the first eight. And then they subsequently, the next year, when he was player coach, they won the championship again. So, And George King used to talk about when Bill Russell came in the league, that it just changed the whole league. From an offensive standpoint, you mean? And racially and every every mm-hmm. way else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, the way George put it, when the black athletes got a chance to play in the NBA, they went to bed at night. And they made the other guys, if they wanted to stay in the league, do the same thing. So what are your what's your best memory or recollection of uh, either Chamberlain or Russell? Well, I, I, I'll tell a story, and, and, and this is true, about Will Chamberlain. He decided that he wanted to lead the league in assists because he had this great team around him. So he led the league in assists. <laughs> and Wouldn't that be nice? Just be able to some, do whatever you want. Some idiot coach out there said that, well, the reason Will's doing that, he can't score anymore. And um, so that made Will mad. So he got like 70, and then he got 60, and then he, <laughs> then he showed up in Chicago. <laughs> Our coach was a guy named Johnny Kerr, Johnny Red Kerr. Oh, yeah. And he says, uh, gosh, he says, I just hope Wilt's off this kick. He says, I just hope he He said, no, no matter what you do, don't embarrass him. Don't embarrass Wilt tonight. Maybe he's done with this. We had a guy on our team named Jimmy Washington from Villanova who could jump and he gets the tip on Wilt to start the game and Johnny right away <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> and Wilt gets about 50 and then after the game he said uh, you know well I guess I proved that I could score now and I'm just going back the way I've been playing just missed it by one game. So he, you know, he could do anything. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. So, post NBA career, then you get into coaching. Was it something you knew you wanted to get into? Well, I, I, I tell this story too. I was walking across this campus with Ray Eddy. I was 17 years old. No one from my family had ever been to a college or anything. And uh, Ray Eddy says, uh, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, I want to be a coach and a teacher." Da da da. And he said, no, you don't want to do that. He says, um, when I uh, first started off at Tell City as, as a coach, he said, I only made $4,200 a year. He said, we have this school called Industrial Management, da-da-da. So I just always did what the coach said. So, you know, that's what I did. Uh, when I got done playing basketball, I was living in Chicago and just knew that I this wasn't what I wanted to do. I was working at the Board of Trade, and um, it just wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. And uh, I called George, and I came back here. I was a grad assistant. I uh, I took 40 hours of phys ed in one year. <laughs> Whoa. That is a heavy load. 20 the first semester, 20 the second. I met every kid in phys ed. Uh, the first semester was mainly freshmen and sophomores. Uh, some freshmen then, Otis Armstrong, Dave Butts, uh, Daryl Stingley. Mm. 
helping coach the freshman team with Bob and Dave Tony, and um, changing clothes about five times a day. During that period of time, I also got married, and then I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and stay and get my master's. So in uh, 72, so I had to come back to school, basically is what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. I, I did four years and two and a half. Did my student teaching here out at Harrison. I was a high school coach one year at Clinton Prairie. It was interesting that Smith the yeah, Ryan played Smith. for you. I had a chance to talk to him at one of your functions. Yeah, He didn't stay there very long either, but it was a start. Mm -hmm. I went to North Dakota State as an assistant coach, and I was a head college coach within 30 Three years, I was a head. You know, I got the job, had Moorhead State, very successful. Um, we uh, won a lot of games. Um, became the head coach at Indiana State. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I had developed a drinking problem. Uh, this was 1985. I've been sober 33 years. Congratulations, good for you. Uh, and of course that changed my life in a negative way and a positive way. Uh, I wouldn't trade, I, well I wouldn't be here. I mean, you know, that's the way it is. But uh, the coaching, that was a blow, because I, 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 then I went back to the same school that I was at. So I was a head college coach, 22 years, well total 23 years. I was assistant a couple of years, I had 25 years of college coaching. Also, I had 15 years in secondary schools and administration. I wound up retiring at Logansport. Um, for, uh, I was a dean there the last seven, eight years of my career. So uh, I, I loved every minute of coaching. Not every minute. Shouldn't have said that. You know, you have good years and bad sure. years. But uh, I've, I always liked being around guys and uh, you know teaching them how to play basketball and watching them compete and always enjoyed the lifestyle and and had no regrets um, have three kids uh, my uh, oldest daughter graduated from West Point she played basketball in Army uh, was the captain of their team uh, married has two kids lives in Tampa I have another daughter that is a nurse practitioner with two kids, lives in Salt Lake. And my son works for the Utah Jazz. He uh, works uh, sales and uh, he used to be with the Clippers, so he's doing really good. He just had his first child uh, about a month ago. So um, that's, that's what I've been up to. Well, and, and so our listeners know too, Dave is uh – pretty close to our program he's around at practices from time to time comes to all just about every home game i would think and uh and uh and i've kind of developed a good relationship with him over the years and we've certainly talked basketball so it's been a a real treat for us to get you on the on the podcast here and i want to wrap up we do a thing called a, the final four it's our last segment here dave and it's a four questions we ask all of our guests so uh the first question is of the final four is um, what is your go-to music of choice, if you ever listen to music? Well, I listen to, you know, a lot of music. Um, I don't know. 
I, yeah, I just, you know, I like rock and roll, I guess. There we go. Nothing wrong with that. Bruce Springsteen, like him. Okay. Uh, what is the best or most recent book you've read? Uh, I read all the time. Uh, I just read uh, Killing England by Bill O'Reilly about the Revolutionary War. That was pretty good. Uh, starting a book now about Indiana. It's... Uh, uh, a book written in the late 40s commemorating Indiana's 150 years. It's, I like nonfiction. Very cool. Larry and I are both avid readers, so we, we're always uh, sharing what each other's reading. What are you uh, reading at the moment, Cliz? I'm not going to disclose it. <laughs> <laughs> Cliz likes some books off the beaten path, to uh, yeah. put it mildly. Um, David, you... If you could wave a wand and do any other profession in your life, what would it have been? Um, I don't. I don't really think I would have changed. You know, I, I think teaching, coaching, uh, I would have done some things differently. But uh, I like that. And finally, on the final four here, what is one thing that either no one or not many people know about you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have people tell me stuff that I don't remember. Well, you kind of said one of them earlier, the first ever pick of the Chicago Bulls. Which yeah, is, that's it. Which is... There's a guy that comes to all the ball games. He talks about how he, I was hitchhiking home one time, and he picked me up, took me all the way to Fort Branch. So <laughs> uh, how do I know if that's true or not? But he, he he's convinced that... Now, when you come to games, do... Do people stop you and want to talk about your playing days and that kind of thing? Every now and then. Every now and then somebody will, will you know, say hello, and uh, that's been fun. That's yeah. a, there's a trouble with that, Elliot, though. As we get older, like Dave and I, we get older, he'll tell you there's a, uh, there's a exponential situation here where the older you get, you're held in higher esteem the people that don't that used to not like you don't care <laughs> and then the people who always like you keep liking you so you're okay so now you have a you have a higher status but here's the here's the catch there's a whole lot of people who don't know who you are Dave Shellhouse is one of the great names ever in Purdue basketball and you know there's there's going to be some people in their 20s and 30s that say what Dave Shellhouse 32 points a game what i mean you have to be a historian and that's the same, you know, 41 years doing the games, it's like, so what? So, so what? And in full disclosure, one of the reasons I I always talk to Dave and get, I beg him for stories a lot is, as before I was doing basketball operations, I was the sports information contact for men's basketball here. So I spent many an hour going through the media guide, seeing uh, archives, yeah, seeing right. stats, yeah. photos, yeah. and I, I, as as much as I love history and I love Purdue basketball, those two things kind of in the same realm, I really poured over those. And so all these names that Dave keeps bringing up, I know exactly who he's talking about. So this for me is is a great treat because I'm I know exactly these names he's referencing, and that's what makes it pretty cool. So, but I think. I think there's certain names, like you said, Larry, that stand out. You know, Dave's name's in the rafters. It, he has a banner that hangs in Mackey. And we were just walking up here to tape this podcast, uh, and we're asking some of our players. I was introducing them to some of the new guys, and 
the older guys are like, oh yeah, we we know, we know. It, 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 no matter when you played, and our current guys, all you got to do is say my the names up in the rafters, and it, that registers. Well, and the other thing is too is that Matt's so good about history. You know, Coach Painter's really good about pointing out. By the way, when you talk to that guy, you know, like he scored two thousand and seventy five games. Yeah. So if you're ever wondering whether you're, you know, really good, you know, maybe maybe you should take a look or a listen. So. Yeah, that's great. And I do think that uh, Coach Painter and and the staff have done some good things in in the last few years to include guys that were involved in Purdue basketball. I know a lot of guys come to the summer get-together, and that's been fun for everybody. And and they didn't, you know, they didn't do that for a long time. And uh, that's good. Yeah, I think it's uh, we 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 preach the the Purdue basketball family around here, and I think anytime we can get our our former players back and together and kind of share those stories for the the young guys, I think that's always a plus. So, well, Dave, I want to I want to thank you so much for yes, joining us. Yes, it's yes. been a real treat. These stories, Cliz and I, are, we love them. We, in fact, I can't wait to. As soon as we finish up here, I'm going to go share all these with the rest of the coaching staff. So. And you should also know, and I mean, like you came in here earlier and said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not that big of a techie, so I really don't really know where this is going to be and where it's going to be at. However, we have found uh, with our rousing success now, what's this, our 28th show? 29th. 29th show, after 29 shows, that no matter who we're with, once this thing hits the airwaves out there on the internet, you, your popularity will rise to, a, <laughs> to an all-time new level, Dave. So I expect, oh, great. Yeah, expect so some more people stopping by and buying in the stands at the next home game and asking for an extra autograph or two. So, But in all seriousness, thanks a lot, Dave, for, for your time today. Thank you. And one final story. I was uh, handing out candy at Halloween just last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was, and one kid nine years old said, I heard your podcast. I'm lying. All right, go ahead. (laughs) I started to get excited. Jeez. Okay, well, that was podcast number 29 here, and our our guest, Dave Shellhouse. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening, as always. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.